sure why. They're both written by Paul. But turn your Bibles to Titus. This is the third message in our series on the book of Titus. We've been walking through it. It's a a really small book. I hesitate to even call it a book. It's just three-chapter letter, but it's a really important letter to Titus, who is leading the church, but it's really ultimately written written as an introduction for Titus to the church. So turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. We'll be reading Titus 1, verses 10 through 16. And we're going to go ahead and stand, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. This is the only inspired and errant thing you will hear. And this is why we give attention to God's Word. We stand out of reverence for Him. This is God's Holy Word. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, But they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we need your ability, God, to discern what is right and true and confront the unsound teaching in our own lives. Lord, we need your ability if we're to silence the false teaching that we have fallen prey to and may not even be aware of it. Lord, we need your ability, God, to hold fast to sound doctrine. God, because we need a sound faith in your trustworthy word. Father, give us your ability to discern where we've listened to teaching that contradicts your word. God, expose and make clear to us where we've let our minds and our hearts be affected by lies that would shake our confidence and upset our souls. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would renew our minds, renew my mind, renew our minds with your trustworthy word. God, would you cause us to rejoice in the fact that you have made us pure by faith in you. And God, I pray that you would give us an even sounder and more secure faith in you today. Would you enable all of us to hear from you and receive your word, God? And would you enable me to preach? God, all this is only possible by the Holy Spirit. So we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to come now and enable us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to confront something. I want to confront some unsound teaching that you've been given. I think, I think at least all the guys, for sure, probably have been given this unsound teaching. And maybe a few of the ladies in the church, too. I want to show you a picture of something. I have it up on the overheads, I think, for you. Anybody recognize what this is? Come on, duct tape? Come on, everybody knows what duct tape is, right? I hope everyone knows what duct tape is. But I want to confront the fact that there's this wide silver colored tape. It's, 
infused with threads. It's remarkably sticky on one side, but it's been deceiving all of us. You know, we've been told for years that duct tape can be used on anything. And I think I've used it on lots of stuff myself. You can might find a few tools in my garage that are repaired with duct tape. You know, we've heard the fix, saying that if you can't fix it with duct tape, you haven't used enough. Anybody ever heard that one? If you can't fix it with duct tape, you haven't used enough. And then maybe the redneck rule number one, most things can be fixed with duct tape and extension cords. I like that one. Someone named Carl Zwanzig, I have no idea who that is. He once said, duct tape is like the force. It has a light side, a dark side, and it holds the universe together. And even beloved Mythbuster Jamie Heineman said, duct tape is not a perfect solution to anything, but with a little creativity and a pinch, it's an adequate solution to just about everything. But I was reading this past week an article, it's a really old article, by a man named Max Sherman. He is a PhD in, well, I can't remember what his PhD was in, 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 in physics. And for some reason, he studied the efficiency of, of buildings and their energy efficiency. And he came across studying a bunch of things. And he was testing at the, the Lawrence Berkeley National Labs, all these different kinds of sealants all over ducts and seeing what's, why is so much energy being lost on heating and cooling. And so he finally figured out, you know what, the majority of it is by faulty sealant, and really it just comes down to one faulty sealant because almost all the other ones passed, and the only one that consistently failed, often and, and catastrophically is what he said, was duct tape. And, and so he was talking to a reporter, and the interviewer asked, how did duct tape get its name? And he says, I don't know. And then they said, well, what can you use it for? And he says, anything but ducts. And so the interview asked, do you use duct tape? And he says, all the time, just never on ducts. And then reporting his finding, he said that duct tape fails reliably and often catastrophically and should never be used on ducts. How in the world did that product get the name duct tape? I mean, I have no idea. I probably used it in some of those scenarios myself. I've used it to repair some windows. I, I think one of my kids made a wallet out of duct tape. I've, I've taped all kinds of things with duct tape, but it's a lie that is to be used on ducks. It's, it's, it's deceitful. And now I kind of say that comically, but, you know, we believe false things sometimes if we hear them enough. We, we believe false things about God and his word if they are packaged up and they're mislabeled. And sometimes we can believe untrue things about God's word. And sometimes the false teaching we hear deceives us to believing lies that really affect us in our faith at a deep level and they rob us of joy. And so that's what the Apostle Paul, he's addressing in this passage is um, we, we need to confront and we need to rebuke to address false teaching and false teachers specifically. And we need to make sure that we don't allow false teaching to infiltrate our own lives, not just the life of the church and the teaching in the church, but we need to be aware it's infiltrated our own lives. And sometimes we believe things that just aren't true about who God is. We can believe the lie that, hey, you know, once you become a Christian, in order to remain acceptable, you have to adhere to a certain kinds of behavior. Anybody ever heard something like that? Anybody put your hands up? No, only four people have ever heard that. Anybody ever heard you have to dress a certain way and look a certain way if you're going to be a Christian? You ever heard that one? Or how about you have to read a certain version of the Bible if you're going to be the right kind of Christian? Or, you know, maybe you have to eat the certain kinds of foods or go on the, the Christian diet or whatever that might be. Or you have to be a certain body weight. You ever hear any of those myths? 
we can believe lies. We can also believe lies that tell us that we're not acceptable before God if we continue to sin as a believer. You ever heard that lie? Come on, anybody ever heard that one in your own head? You ever feel like you're completely unacceptable or you're unworthy? You're impure because you don't measure up to whatever standards you have or even the standards of the Bible? You ever, you ever feel that way? I would posit to you that you're believing duct tape. <laughs> you're believing a lie. It's not true. And so the Apostle Paul wants to help the church because it's insidious. It's deceitful. We tend to believe lies that sound palatable, that sound good, that, that actually tempt us at our very souls about feeling some kind of worthiness on our own. And so that's what he's addressing here is the false teaching that deceives us to believing lies. And he had told in, in verse 9, look down your Bibles if you will in Titus 1 verse 9, he says, we must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He's saying he must hold firm to the trustworthy words taught. Talking about elders in the church, they have to hold firm to the trustworthy words taught so that they, they might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, rebuke those who contradict it. And the same is true for us. We need to hold firm to the trustworthy word that we've been taught so that we can refute and rebuke or confront teaching that's contradictory and also be instructed in sound doctrine. And so as we look at this passage, it, you know, it, it's somewhat confusing. Like, what is this instruction? Is this just to elders? Why does he give us all these negative things here? And I think what God has for us from this passage is that we must confront unsound doctrine so that we may be sound in the faith. As believers, not just as elders, although this is written to elders, it's written, as I said, like an introduction of Titus to the church. And so what he's writing to the whole church is that we must confront unsound doctrine so that we might be sound in our faith. Because there is so much that shakes our faith when we believe things that, that don't adhere to sound doctrine. The teaching of the word. You know, every day when I get up, I need to freshly apply the good news that I'm righteous in Jesus Christ. Because I am tempted to believe unsound doctrine that thinks that my performance is what earns me favor before God. I'm tempted that way every day. I need to confront that unsound doctrine so that I can be sound in the faith. Ultimately, there's a lot of teaching we're exposed to that's not reliable at all. And if we rely on unsound teaching, then your life will be shaky. And if you look for the next greatest thing or the new happening, or, or if you were looking for some special revelation to, to help you really get this Christian life, or if you're looking for, you know, God to suddenly take away all temptation from you, and you think that, hey, maybe if I'm really a Christian, God will remove all temptation. If I'm really a Christian, I, all the troubles go away. And if you believe those things, you have subjected yourself to unsound teaching. And so we need to reject unsound doctrine so that we're sound in the faith and the reason why and paul tells titus the reason why is because unsound teachers they abound unsound teachers abound in that day paul told he says he says for there are many who are insubordinate there are many do you know that's true today as well there is all manner of teachers who do not believe in the authority and the sufficiency of God's word and try to add these special things to God's word. You know, I've really got the key to what it looks like to live for God. You know, the real key is whatever. It's, maybe it's a, 
It is a special way of praying, you know, the prayer of Jabez or whatever that might be. Or it's a special way of studying the Bible that's really the key to live, unlocking all of Christian life. And if you do things a certain way, if you live a certain way, if you conform your life to the certain way of living, then, then maybe your life will suddenly be great. And what, what that contempts us to do is to move from trusting in Christ and, and his work alone to trusting really in our work. So unsound teachers... They abound. In the church in Crete, there were many people who were, as ESV puts it, insubordinate. They, they weren't subordinating their lives to the trustworthy word of the gospel. They were, they were rebellious. Now, in this sense, it means rebelling against the, the plain truths of what God has put in his word. And that's when we all get in trouble too, right? And so he warns against this. He says, there's, there's people who are insubordinate. They're, they're empty talkers. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean when they open their mouths, no words come out. He means they, they, tell, they talk a bunch of fluff that has no real content, no real meat to what they're saying. It's kind of like the self-help movement that, that talks about, you know, you can have your best life now. That's empty talk. It's deceitful. He says there were others who were empty talkers who followed after idolatry and pagan beliefs. They are not grounded in God's word. We can laugh as a church, by the way. It's okay. We can laugh when things happen in the congregation. You know, other people were deceiving people's minds. Now, the connotation there is, is that kind of like they're, they're seducing people's minds to get them to believe seductive truths. And it's these seductive truths that can lead us away from the truth of God's word that, that make us feel good about ourselves, right? You know, our problem, the seductive truth might teach, our problem is that we don't have high enough self-esteem. That sounds good. The problem is, our problem is we esteem ourselves too much and we don't esteem Christ as our righteousness. We can fall prey to all kinds of seductive teaching. Our problem is not that we don't love ourselves enough. It sounds good because, you know, sometimes we struggle with loving other people. So, hey, my problem is I don't love myself. I've got to love myself first before I love other people. And, and that's contrary to the truth of God's word. And it's seductive. We can fall prey to all these kind of self-help, seductive teachings. And, and Paul says that it upsets whole families. It's upsetting whole families. Now, it seems to be that, that it was coming primarily from the circumcision party. He says, especially from those of the circumcision party. And that, that word for especially could mean in reality or in truth from those people. So it was coming primarily from those who, who believed that you had to do things in order to be pleasing to God. And they, if you look a little further down, he talks about those who adhere to Jewish myths and the commands of men. And so this was likely the church was being infiltrated by people who said, you've got to do certain practices to be acceptable. Now, they might have done it subtly, right? And now, now a lot of us have been exposed to that kind of teaching as well. Or, and sometimes it's really insidious and it's not intentionally deceitful, but we've got to be on guard and say, wait a minute, that's, that's, not, that's not where my hope is. But we can, we can become kind of inoculated to this idea that if we do these certain practices that are acceptable in our church or in our group of people that we belong to or whatever your tribe might be or in your family, if we have these certain acceptable practices, then we're acceptable. 
That's kind of what the people in the church there were hearing from these people who believed Jewish myths, the circumcision party, these commandments of men. And it's causing all kinds of problems in families. Imagine some of these Jewish myths in that day were forbidding marriage, and some of these other Jewish myths were, for, were making out so you couldn't eat certain foods. I think that's going to come a little popular today, and I might be touching on a hot button with that one. You know, if you eat a certain food, then you're really not okay. Somehow we're more pure if we eat more pure. I'm going to leave that alone. So, in 1 Timothy, Paul was addressing a cer- these similar issues. It was the letter written right before Titus, around the, around the time. It was then probably a couple months of writing Titus. He wrote 1 Timothy and he wrote Titus. And then 2 Timothy was his final letter. And then in 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, he, he wrote about some of these problems of these Jewish circumcision party. Look in your Bibles in, in 1 Timothy 4. It says, now the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. And here's how you can depart from the faith. He says, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, you think, oh my goodness, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about massive deceitful spirits and demons. He must be talking about devil worship, right? And you think, oh my goodness, I'm not anywhere near that because I'm not sacrificing to Satan. I'm not doing any weird things like that. And, and I'm not sitting across these deceitful demons. But he says, here's how that happens. And he explains this demonic teaching that it forbids marriage. And it requires abstinence from certain kinds of foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. He says, for everything created by God is good. Nothing to be rejected is received with thanksgiving. And so what Paul is saying is that the teaching that we need to add anything to our salvation. We need to add any performance or we need to avoid any things in order to be secure and acceptable to God. That is demonic. That is satanic and demonic. That's pretty hard language, isn't it? And why is that? Because it compromises the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, which says you can't save yourself in any way. You're not as bad as you could be, but you are corrupt in every way. Every part of the way you think is corrupted by sin. And you can't save yourself. And no amount of reforming and performing, no amount of rejecting what is bad and then holding to what's good can save you. You need someone to rescue you. I need someone to rescue me. I need Jesus and Jesus alone. And so anything that teaches otherwise leads us away from the truth, results in condemnation and guilt and death. And so it's demonic. That's why Paul is so strong here. He's so strong in confronting false teaching because it's, it's subtle, but it leads us astray. It seems palatable, right? You know, the Pharisees were really palatable. They taught all these good practices that, that were very moral. You know, Mormonism produces some of the best, most likable people I've ever met who are far from God and going to hell believing a lie. False teachers, they were not just a problem back then. We face false teaching today. Every time we hear the message of the gospel being Jesus plus. Anytime we add to the gospel, though, we take away from the gospel. 
Anytime we add to our need for Jesus, we take away our need for Jesus. Remember that when you were thinking, you know, I feel like I have to do these things to meet God's favor, and you can remind yourself, no, that is, that's, that's false teaching on believing. Anytime teaching causes us to believe that we're saved or made pure by anything other than the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus, that's dangerously deceitful. And so Paul addresses how to identify these false teachers, and he doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't go easy. He's not being mean. He's loving them. You know, the meanest thing that we can do is allow false doctrine to infiltrate the church and our own thinking. It's not loving to ignore falsehood. So the gospel of Jesus, it, it changes lives, but that is what is at stake. And Paul doesn't want anything to obscure, detract, or contradict the life-giving message about Jesus that delivers us, that changes us, that that conforms us into his image by his grace. And so he informs Titus in the church in no uncertain terms of this really second reality. And, and not only do unsound teachers abound, but unsound teachers must be rebuked. And that, that just means you know, sometimes voices in your head are unsound, and they need to be rebuked as well. You know, if there were to be a virus break a few years ago, I think, I think by and large it's under control, but... Two years ago, at least, there was an outbreak of Ebola Zaire all throughout Africa, and it kills 90% of everyone who contracts it. 90%. Imagine that Ebola came to your town or your kid's school or to the church. Imagine that the Ebola Zaire virus, the most difficult one to get rid of, the one that causes 90% mortality, if it came to the United States, the, the CDC and doctors would, in a good way, respond forcefully. They would try to contain it. They would try to get rid of it to stop the virus. You know, the virus is such a small thing, right? It's so teeny. It's so small that you can't even see it. Unless you look through a microscope. You can't see a virus. Sometimes they're airborne. They're so small. And yet this small thing compared to a human cell, which is even larger, and then our organs and our bodies, we're massive. We're millions and millions of times larger than a virus. And yet this small thing, it can get in and it can infect and cause so much damage. Sometimes we're infected with bad doctrine that corrupts the gospel. And he says, this, that kind of unsound teaching and unsound teachers, they have to be rebuked. Look back at verse 11. He says, he says very emphatically, they must be what? Silenced. That, that word's pretty graphic. It's the word for muzzling. They have to be, they have to be stopped. Silence them. Now, he's not talking about physically. He tells how we silence them. We silence and we refute unsound doctrine with the truth. And we do it lovingly. You know, the other places the Bible says speaking the truth in love. Let's not forget that in love. Scripture informs scripture here. But nonetheless, they must be silenced because they're drawing people away from the truth, teaching things for their own benefit or gain. And not only that, their, their motives are revealed because if they're teaching things for their own gain, they're teaching to get, to accumulate for themselves. And, and for the church, it was dangerous because there was this danger in that in the setting in Crete, and it's a danger today as well, when you think that all Christians and all Christian teachers are just in it for the money, and they're in it to, to, to fleece people for money so that they can get rich, that corrupts the message of the gospel and the witness of the, of the gospel, doesn't it? 
And so, you know, if you have a neighbor who's like, I don't want to listen to that Christian teaching because all Christian teachers are just, they're just spouting that stuff because they want to deceive people and get money. So Paul says, that, that needs to be silenced. They're deceiving. And there's dangers there. It's not, but it's not foreign to us today. You know, we're, we're, we're all really familiar with, with cults like Christian Scientology. Don't they sound good on the outside to begin with? And you hear that, wait a minute, they're charging money for their teaching. And to get to other levels, you have to pay to get to the, all these different levels. And so it's easy to see that their motives are exposed. And that's easy to refute. And it, seem, it seems sometimes people, you know, you encounter them on the streets and saying, hey, let me do this little diagnostic test. It'll help you out and help you understand who you are. And it kind of gets you into this stuff. It comes in the form of self-help. But maybe a, a closer parallel today might be, for us in the church, those who teach the so-called prosperity gospel. False teachers who claim we can be completely healthy and wealthy if we only have enough faith. And if, you know, God loves you so much that you should always be healthy. Or God loves you so much that you should always be financially stable and financially wealthy. And so you can get into condemnation thinking something must be wrong with me because I'm sick all the time. Or something must be wrong with me. I've got this illness that won't go away. Maybe I don't have enough faith or maybe God doesn't love me. Or maybe you get to the place thinking, you know what? If, if maybe God doesn't really, or if we're... Because I've really tried to believe, and I can't believe enough. And you feel condemned. It leads to massive discouragement. And for others, almost worse, it can lead to the reverse. If you happen to be healthy, and God happens to be blessing you with health, you can think, you know what? It's my faith that makes me healthy. And so your faith becomes not in God, but in your own faith, and your ability to keep yourself healthy. And that's dangerous because any faith that is moving from trusting in Jesus to trusting what we do is not faith in Christ at all. And look at verse 12. He says, one of their own. This is kind of astounding and it might be offensive as we hear this today. You're like, Paul, you're being really rude. Look at verse 12. He says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, talking about, hey, he was a teacher too, just like these false teachers, a prophet of their own. He said, Cretans are always liars. How would you like that to be said about, you know, Americans, they're always liars. He says, Cretans, they're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then at the verse 13, beginning of verse 13, look at what he says. He says, this testimony is true. <laughs> I wonder how that went over when Paul was reading it. You know, I think actually how, how it went over was probably the people hearing that were saying, you know what? Yeah, that's, that was true once of us, but not anymore. You know, in the same way that we need to know the environment that we're talking to, if, if I was to say something like, Americans are always proud, self-centered, and selfish, I might offend some people. But if you heard that and said, you know what, generally, I understand that apart from Christ, that would be me, but my identity is not in being an American or a Cretan or whatever and that's not who I am. I am who God says I am. I am new in the gospel. And, and he has made me righteous. And so my primary identity isn't even in that. So that doesn't affect me anyway. And where that has been true, thanks be to God, that no longer is true. I am clean in him. If Paul and Titus and the Cretan elders he appointed 
were to leave that kind of living unaddressed, it would lead people to think that living that way, that that kind of teaching is what was acceptable. And it would ultimately lead to people remaining dead in their sins. If they believe that, you know what? The Christian faith is about what I do ultimately. Because yes, I have to believe in Jesus, but ultimately I have to keep myself or else I'm in trouble. And it was redemptive for Titus to rebuke and the church today to rebuke false teaching like this. Because why? He, He gives us the reasoning why. Look down your Bibles. He says, so that what? They might be sound in the faith. It's redemptive. He's not trying to kick them out of church. He's not trying to say, you know what, we're just correcting you because we don't like you. You bother us. No, I'm going to. And so it gives you kind of the, the heart behind Paul. Let me just silence them. I need to rebuke them so that, so that their best might be accomplished, so they might be sound in the faith. You know, in our own lives, when we struggle in the faith is when we believe false things about God. It's when we believe false things about who we are in him. Let us be sound in the faith. Silence and rebuke teaching. It causes us to doubt the truth of God's word and trusting anything else. The goal is that those who believe might be sound in the faith. And that means you don't turn away from the truth of what God has done for us. It means not turning away from the truth of we come to God by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then lastly, we see this third truth in the passage that sound teaching leads to sound faith. And where am I getting that from? Primarily from, from 15 and 16. He, he, he says something that I never really got, I have to admit, I never really totally got this passage, this part, this where it says, to the pure, all things are pure. I'm like, how does that relate to what you've been talking about, false teachers? And then I realized, oh my goodness, he's, he's talking about this in the context of, of people, the circumcision party, and those who believe Jewish myths and, and commands of men. They are trying to do things to purify themselves, to make themselves pure. And so what he's saying is, when you're believing in those things, you think that makes you pure, you're really defiled. You're defiled by those things. And so everything you do is defiled. But if you've been made pure in Christ, then every is pure to you all foods are permissible to you um, if you are pure morally then everything is pure to you when it when it comes to foods and what you may do and so what he's helping them see is this sound teaching that if you've been made pure morally then then you can accept all things with thanksgiving and if you understand the sound teaching that no, if I am defiled because I'm unbelieving, as Paul says, they're defiled because they're unbelieving, then everything I do is going to be defiled. And so I need to be made pure in Christ. I need him to do something. I need him to do an inside job that only he can do. I need him to make me pure. And thanks be to God, when he makes me pure, I am pure. All things are pure. It's kind of the same thing when he says to, Paul says to tell you, he says, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, commands of people who turn away from the truth. It's kind of the same thing that Jesus taught when he rebuked the Pharisees, right? They were trusting in their own ability, their own teachings, and by that they were rejecting the teaching of God. I want you to look over in your Bibles, we have it on the screen as well, in Mark 7, verse 10. 
He says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, did you get that? Commands of men. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have ga- would have gained for me is korban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the commands of men. And verse 13, thus make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. He says, and many such things you do. And he called the people again to him. And he said to them, hear to me, all of you, and understand. He said, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him to defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Because they, they needed this truth too. They needed to get it. Just like the church in Titus and, and, and Crete needed to get it, and we need to get it. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. The Pharisees, they seem really good on the outside. And they, they really objectively were. They gave money. They did good things. They, they practiced good deeds. They abstained from certain things. They were upright people generally. But in their hearts, they were defiled. They didn't understand what truly defiles a person it's not traditions, it's not practices, it's not external behaviorism. What defiles truly is our own sinful hearts, and we need to be cleansed from that defiling. And if we are made pure, then we are pure indeed, and nothing can defile us. That's good news. You should be shouting. Jesus continues on in, in verse 20 of Mark 7. He says, and what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It is not what somebody else even does to you that defiles you. It's not what's been done to you. It's not your past that defiles you. It's not your parents that defiles you. No one externally can defile you. We're defiled in our own hearts. And yet God gives by his grace his purity. He removes what's defiled us. And that's what Paul's getting at in verse 15. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. For both their minds and consciences are defiled. Another way of saying that the first verse in 15 might be to say, to those who are morally clean, all things are ritually cleaned. Or to those who are morally pure, all things are ritually pure. Or another way might be saying that, you know, you can eat junk food and it's okay. Because it won't make you unclean. You know, you can enjoy all of the good gifts that God has given to you. And give thanks to him as gifts from God if they're done in worship to God. They're sanctified with thanksgiving and prayer. If you do all things with a heart of thanksgiving and prayer to God and, and from pure motives that desire to please God, then he says, then, then do that. They're pure to you. Well, that doesn't mean that every activity that's potential for mankind to do is pure. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying everything is pure. There, there is sin. What he's saying is if you are pure and that's what's motivating you, 
and, and, and you, are, you are motivated by the fact that he is, God has made you righteous, then you're gonna, your mind is going to be changed to be thinking righteous thoughts, and your desires, your conscience is going to be changed to desire righteous things. And so if, if you are truly been made pure, you're going to live that way. The opponents of the gospel taught that believers in Jesus could still be unclean through what they ate or defiled by touching defiled things, associating with defiled people. But what they didn't get is that we really need to be made clean by Jesus. And that's really good news because Jesus does make clean. It's not what food we eat, what practices we do that make us pure or clean. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you have been made pure, spotless with the spotlessness of Jesus. Righteous with the righteousness of Christ. Undefiled and holy with the holiness of Jesus. It's not about food or marriage. But you know, there's all kinds of ways today that we can be tempted that way. To think that if we hope in some practice or knowledge. If we, maybe we have something that supposedly elevates us to as more acceptable spiritually. And we can think, oh no, that's not me. I don't think of myself superior in any way to anybody else. Well, let, me, let me just give you some ideas about what might perhaps tempt you to think that you're better than somebody else that tempt me maybe these are just all from me you know maybe there's a certain kind of physical exercise or abstaining from some types of exercise maybe maybe either one of those things makes you more holy eating certain kinds of foods or abstaining from certain kinds of foods using essential oils or not or supplements or not or the right way of looking or acting or dressing or our thinking can be twisted somehow we're not acceptable to god if we look good if we have blemishes that we're not acceptable to God, and God says, no, you are pure, I love you, you're accepted. Or maybe you, you take confidence in your superiority of choice of a school or schooling and for your children or how you've raised your kids the right way. If you found that way, by the way, I would love to know what it is. It's, it's raising them in fear and admonition of the Lord, but you know what? I, I get things wrong all the time in doing that. You know, maybe it's this the right way to worship you take confidence in or the right way to evangelize and everybody else nah, just not quite as good because they don't do it my way or you know what those people are weird because they shake and they they kind of dance around when they worship and so that's not godly so but i'm better than them because i don't do that or if you raise your hands and people around you are just standing here like this you think you know what they don't really love jesus as much as me because they're just standing there unaffected and so we're thinking somehow that we have confidence based on our performance Maybe there's some other practice related to entertainment or social media or reading or the truly correct political party, whatever that is, or the superior understanding or biblical knowledge compared to somebody else. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to honor God in all those ways, but let's be careful that we never let ourselves believe the lie and trust in any of those things. As if somehow we're better because of any of those things. I want everyone here to have biblical convictions about everything that you do. I want you to do everything in faith to the Lord that you're doing this to honor God. And so that will look different for all of us. But don't ever put your confidence for your faith in Jesus and the fact that you are made pure in those things. You know, by judging our merit and having a sense of superiority or feeling like we're more acceptable or somehow we're better than other Christians because of our practices or our understanding, it's hogwash. 
must forsake any and all confidence in the flesh and place our faith in the finished work of Jesus alone because it frees us to not have to live for those things, to not be bound and slave to those things. Let's try to honor God with all of our bodies and it's good to live a healthy life so you might be more effective for the gospel, but please don't think somehow you're better because of that. Well, somehow God likes you more because you weigh less. Or somehow God likes you more because you have been doing things that you feel like are pleasing to him. So somehow God likes you more because of that or accepts you more or finds you more righteous. Refuse those things. And if your brother or sister indulges in good gifts, like angel food cake with buttercream frosting, that's my favorite, by the way, or... Some of my other favorites, maybe Ghirardelli dark chocolate with raspberry filling or, or beef jerky or Slim Jims with dreaded trans fats in them or Reese, Reese's peanut butter cups or steak or smoked pork butt. I know we're close to lunch. I'm not being nice right now. Or maybe a mound of delicious, which I indulge in every Monday, is we make crepes, and I put chocolate on them, and peanut butter, and bananas in them, and then I have a pile of bacon. And I thank God for it. <laughs> and, and it's wonderful, and I do it to the glory of God. But I'm not superior because I do those things, and I'm also not inferior because of that. I might not live as long as you. <laughs> but you know what? Paul said it's better to be in God's presence than to be here anyway. So, hey, absence with the body. Thank you, God. I'm here quicker. And he's like, well, you could have done a little more, you know. I'm like, yeah, but I get to be here. Now, I'm not trying to throw away any convictions you might have about being healthy in your body and eating well and those kinds of things. But I want to I take away the notion that anything we do, any behavior, any failure to do, any any inadequacy on our part does not make us impure. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and God has put all of the wrath that you deserve on Jesus, there is no way that you can be made impure by anyone. Why? Because God keeps you and who can take you from his hand? The answer is no one. I love 1 Timothy 4. Verse 4, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. And he's not condoning sinful behavior and saying that. But he is saying that everything is good from God. It's a gift to be enjoyed and received with thanksgiving, and it's made holy by the word in prayer. And then when he says to the pure, all things are pure, I think it also means that when he's made us pure, it affects how we live. And I love a quote from John MacArthur there. He says, when a person is pure in heart and mind, I don't think we have this for you in overheads, but when a person is pure in heart and mind, his perspectives on all things are pure. And that inner purity produces outer purity. And he's going to get to that in the rest of Titus. He, he actually gives a lot of commands about, about how to live in a way that's pleasing to God. That doesn't mean that Paul's somehow adding to the gospel now. He's saying, no, in light of the fact that you've been made pure, in light of the fact that you must hold firm to the sound doctrine of the gospel, it should have an effect, it will have an effect, and here's what that looks like, and that's the rest of Titus. But before he goes there, he wants to make sure that we reject any notion, any unsound teaching that the gospel has anything to do with our performance. 
Philip Towner said in his commentary, he says, ironically, the condition of defilement that they, those teachers, hope to avoid by rigorous attention to rituals is precisely the one in which they find themselves. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. The Pharisees looked good on the outside, but they denied him by their works. They, they showed that their hearts weren't really to honor God. Look what these teachers are doing. It's the same thing. It's nothing new. You will find it is impossible to please God if you are trusting in your own ability. If you're trusting in your own strength. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then no matter how good you look on the outside, it will become evident by your works. And he says, if you're defiled like this, if you are unbelieving, then you are not only detestable, you're disobedient and unfit for any good work. The false teachers claim to have superior knowledge, but the right life revealed otherwise. People who don't believe the truth of the gospel might claim to know God, but their behavior shows the difference. Any addition to the apostolic faith, it's rejection of God and evidence of unbelief. And contrary to leading people to be impure, adding to the faith makes one defiled. It leads people away from God in the end. I have a quote for you from Charles Spurgeon. I love what he said. He says, we are obliged to come to the conclusion that our minds are not pure. But we need not in there, for there are means by which we, they may be made so. Glory be to God. If my mind and conscience are defiled, they need not always be so. There is cleansing. I cannot affect it for myself, nor can any outward forms do it. No outward form can make me clean. The leprosy lies deep within but God has set forth Christ to be a Savior, and he shall save his people from their sins and from their sinfulness too. And whoever believes in Christ Jesus, that is, trust in him, there is already in him the beginning of purity. God the Holy Spirit will give him more and more of the likeness of Christ, for he believes that he shall be saved from sin, from indwelling sin, from all sin, from the power as well as from the guilt of it. Faith will cleanse him, applying to him the precious blood and the water which flows from the side of Christ. Faith will, by the Holy Spirit's power, become a cleansing as well as a saving grace. God grants it to us that we may all be among the pure, unto whom all things shall be pure. Let's not trust the duct tape of our own efforts to hold us secure. It will fail catastrophically under pressure. Instead, let's apply the true remedy of Christ's righteousness with which we are made truly pure for heaven above. If you have trusted in Jesus, then God has made you clean. He declares us righteous and holy with all the righteousness of Christ. He gives you a new heart and a new mind and a new conscience that desires God and lives for God. And that's the basis for every other Christian command. If you don't start there, you'll get it dramatically wrong. And that's the basis for us moving forward in faith to obey God. If I know that he has made me pure, 
then I can have confidence to say, you know what? I want to I live that out. I want to live for who he's already made me to be. And that when I sin, I can get back up and trust in the Lord again. Because I'm still pure in him. Amen? I want to close with a psalm called Rock of Ages. Go to the band come up. I'll read you the words. I want you to listen to these words. And then as we're singing, I want that to be a prayer for us. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you as you're seeing these words to own these words and say, God, I, please forgive me for living for myself, for thinking I could do things on my own. God, forgive me for all of my sins. God, I'm defiled and I need you to cleanse me, give me a new heart, give me a new mind.